Section 20 of Modeste Mignon by Henri de Balzac Translated by Catherine Prescott Warmly This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section 20 of Modeste Mignon by Henri de Balzac read by don w jenkins chapter twenty the poet does his exercises this visit of the great surgeon was the event of the day and it left a luminous trace in modeste's soul the young enthusiast ardently admired the man whose life belonged to others and in whom the habit of studying physical suffering had destroyed the manifestations of egoism that evening when gobenheim the Latournelles and Butcha, Canalis, Ernest, and the Duc de Haraville were gathered in the salon. They all congratulated the Mignon family on the hopes which Duplain encouraged. The conversation, in which the modeste of her letters was once more in the ascendant, turned naturally on the man whose genius, unfortunately for his fame, was appreciable only by the faculty and men of science gobenheim contributed a phrase which is the sacred chrism of genius as interpreted in those days by public economists and bankers he makes a mint of money they say he is very grasping said canalis the praises which modeste showered on Deplain had annoyed the poet vanity acts like a woman they both think they are defrauded when love or praise is bestowed on others Voltaire was jealous of the wit of a roué whom Paris admired for two days, and even a duchess takes offence at a look bestowed upon her maid. The avarice excited by these two sentiments is such that a fraction of them given to the poor is thought robbery. "'Do you think, monsieur,' said Modeste, smiling, "'that we should judge genius by ordinary standards?' "'Perhaps we ought first of all to define the man of genius,' replied Canalis one of the conditions of genius is invention invention of a form a system a force napoleon is an inventor apart from his other conditions of genius he invented his method of making war walter scott is an inventor Linnaeus is an inventor geoffrey saint hilaire and cuvier are inventors such men are men of genius of the first rank they renew increase or modify both science and art but Deplain is merely a man whose vast talent consists in properly applying laws already known in observing by means of a natural gift the limits laid down for each temperament and the time appointed by nature for an operation he has not founded like hippocrates the science itself he has invented no system as did galen brousset and rasserie he is merely an executive genius like moscelli on the piano paganini on the violin or Farinelli on his own larynx men who have en developed enormous faculties but who have not created music you must permit me to discriminate between beethoven and la catalani to one belongs the immortal crown of genius and of martyrdom to the other innumerable five-franc pieces one we can pay in coin but the world remains throughout all time a debtor to the other each day increases our debt to moliere but baron's comedies have been overpaid 
i think you make the prerogative of ideas too exclusive said ernest de la briere in a quiet and melodious voice who formed a sudden contrast to the peremptory tones of the poet whose flexible organ had abandoned its caressing notes for the strident and magisterial voice of the rostrum genius must be estimated according to its utility and parmentier who brought potatoes into general use jacquart the inventor of the silk looms papin who first discovered the elastic quality of steam are men of genius to whom statues will some day be erected they have changed or they will change in a certain sense the face of the state it is in that sense that de plain will always be considered a man of genius by thinkers they see him attended by a generation of sufferers whose pains are stifled by his hand that ernest should give utterance to his opinions was enough to make modeste oppose it if that be so monsieur she said then the man who could discover a way to mow wheat without injuring the straw by a machine that could do the work of ten men would be a man of genius yes my daughter said madame mignon and the poor would bless him for cheaper bread he that is blessed by the poor is blessed of god that is putting utility above art said modeste shaking her head without utility what would become of art said charles mignon what would it rest on what would it live on where would you lodge and how would you pay the poet oh my dear papa such opinions are fearfully flat and antediluvian i am not surprised that gobenheim and monsieur labriere who are interested in the solution of social problems should think so but you whose life has been the most useless poetry of the century useless because the blood you shed all over europe and the horrible sufferings extracted by your colossus did not prevent france from losing ten departments acquired under the revolution how can you give in to such excessively pigtail notions as the idealists say it is plain you've just come from china the impertinence of modeste's speech was heightened by a little air of contemptuous disdain which she purposely put on and which fairly astounded madame mignon madame latournelle and dumais as for madame latournelle she opened her eyes so wide she no longer saw anything butcha whose alert attention was comparable to that of a spy looked at monsieur mignon expecting to see him flush with sudden and violent indignation a little more young lady and you'll be wanting in respect for your father said the colonel smiling and noticing butcha's look see what it is to spoil one's children i am your only child she said saucily child indeed remarked the notary significantly monsieur said modeste turning upon him my father is delighted to have me for his governess he gave me life and i give him knowledge he will soon owe me something there seems occasion for it said madame mignon but mademoiselle is right said canalis rising and standing before the fireplace in one of the finest attitudes of his collection god in his providence has given food and clothing to man but he has not directly given him art he says to man to live thou must bow thyself to the earth to think thou shalt lift thyself to me we have as much need of the life of the soul as of the life of the body hence there are two utilities it is true we cannot be shod by books or clothed by poems an epic song is not if you take the utilitarian view as useful as the broth of a charity kitchen the noblest ideas will not sail a vessel in place of canvas it is quite true that the cotton gin gives us calicoes for thirty sous a yard less than we ever paid before but that machine and all other industrial perfections will not breathe the breath of life into a people will not tell futurity of civilization that once existed art on the contrary 
egyptian mexican grecian roman art with their masterpieces now called useless reveal the existence of races back in the vague immense of time beyond where the great intermediary nations denuded of men of genius have disappeared leaving not a line nor a trace behind them the works of genius are the summum of civilization and presuppose utility surely a pair of boots are not as agreeable to your eyes as a fine play at the theatre and you don't prefer a windmill to the church of san juan do you well then nations are imbued with the same feelings as the individual man and the man's cherished desire is to survive himself morally just as he propagates himself physically the survival of a people is the work of its men of genius at this very moment france is proving energetically the truth of that theory she is undoubtedly excelled by england in commerce industry and navigation and yet she is i believe at the head of the world by reason of her artists her men of talent and the good taste of her products there is no artist and no superior intellect that does not come to paris for a diploma there is no school of painting at this moment but that of france and we shall reign far longer and perhaps more securely by our books than our swords in la Briere's system on the other hand all that is glorious and lovely must be suppressed women's beauty music painting poetry society will not be overthrown that is true but i ask you who would willingly accept such a life all useful things are ugly and forbidding a kitchen is indispensable but you take care not to sit there you live in the salon which you adorn like this with superfluous things of what use let me ask you are these charming wall paintings this carved woodwork there is nothing beautiful but that which seems to us useless we call the sixteenth century the renaissance with admirable truth of language that century was the dawn of a new era men will continue to speak of it when all remembrance of anterior centuries had passed away their only merit being that they once existed like the million beings who count as rubbish of a generation rubbish yes that may be but my rubbish is dear to me said the duc de Herouville, laughing during the silent pause which followed the poet's pompous oration let me ask said butcha attacking canales does art the sphere in which according to you genius is required to evolve itself exist at all is it not a splendid lie a delusion of the social man do i want a landscape scene of normandy in my bedroom when i can look out and see a better one done by god himself our dreams make poems more glorious than iliads for an insignificant sum of money i can find at valon at carentan at provence at arles many a venus as beautiful as those of titian the police gazette publishes tales differing somewhat from those of walter scott but ending tragically with blood not ink happiness and virtue exist above and beyond both art and genius bravo butcher cried madame latournelle what did he say asked canalis of la Briere, failing to gather from the eyes and attitude of mademoiselle mignon the usual signs of artless admiration the contemptuous indifference which modeste had exhibited towards la Briere, and above all her disrespectful speeches to her father so depressed the young man that he made no answer to canalis his eyes fixed sorrowfully on modeste were full of deep meditation the duc de Herouville took up Butch's argument and reproduced it with much intelligence, saying finally that the ecstasies of San Teresa were far superior to the creations of Lord Byron. Oh, Monsieur le Duc, exclaimed Modeste, hers was purely a personal poetry, whereas the genius of Lord Byron and Molière benefit the world. 
how do you square that opinion with those of monsieur le baron cried charles mignon quickly now you are insisting that genius must be useful and benefit the world as though it were cotton but perhaps you think logic as antediluvian as your poor old father butcha la briere and madame latournelle exchanged glances that were more than half derisive and drove modeste to a pitch of irritation that kept her silent for a moment mademoiselle do not mind them said canalis smiling upon her we are neither beaten nor caught in a contradiction every work of art let it be in literature music painting sculpture or architecture implies a positive social utility equal to that of all other commercial products art is preeminently commerce presupposes it in short an author pockets ten thousand francs for his book the making of books means the manufactory of paper a foundry a printing office a bookseller in other words the employment of thousands of men the execution of a symphony of beethoven or an opera by rossini requires human arms and machinery and manufactures the cost of a monument is an almost brutal case in point in short i may say that the works of genius have an extremely costly basis and are necessarily useful to the working man astride of that theme canalis spoke for some minutes with a fine luxury of metaphor and much inward complacency as to his phrases but it happened with him as with many another great speaker that he found himself at last at the point from which the conversation started and in full agreement with la briere without perceiving it i see with much pleasure my dear baron said the little duke slyly that you will make an admirable constitutional minister oh said canalis with the gesture of a great man what is the use of all these discussions what do they prove the eternal verity of one axiom all things are true all things are false moral truths as well as human beings change their aspect according to their surroundings to the point of being actually unrecognizable society exists through settled opinions said the duc de Haraville. what laxity whispered madame latournelle to her husband he is a poet said gobenheim who overheard her canalis who was ten leagues above the heads of his audience and who may have been right in his last philosophical remark took the sort of coldness which now overspread the surrounding faces of a symptom of provincial ignorance but seeing that modeste understood him he was content being wholly unaware that monologue is particularly disagreeable to country folk whose principal desire it is to exhibit the manner of life and the wit and custom of the provinces to parisians it is long since you have seen the duchess de chaleu asked the duke addressing canalis as if to change the conversation i left her about six days ago is she well persisted the duke perfectly well have the kindness to remember me to her when you write they say she is charming remarked modeste addressing the duke monsieur le baron can speak more confidently than i replied the grand equerry more than charming said canalis making the best of the duke's perfidy but i am partial mademoiselle she has been a friend to me for the last ten years i owe all that is good in me to her she has saved me from the dangers of the world moreover monsieur le duc de chaleu launched me in my present career without the influence of that family the king and the princesses would have forgotten a poor poet like me therefore my affection for the duchess must always be full of gratitude his voice quivered we ought to love the woman who has led you to write those sublime poems and who inspires you with such noble feelings said modeste quite affected who can think of a poet without a muse 
he would be without a heart replied canalis he would write barren verses like voltaire who never loved anyone but voltaire i thought you did me the honour to say in paris interrupted dumais that you never felt the sentiments you expressed the shoe fits my soldier replied the poet smiling but let me tell you that it is quite possible to have a great deal of feeling both in the intellectual life and in real life my good friend here la Briere, is madly in love continued canalis with a fine show of generosity looking at modeste i who certainly love as much as he that is i think so unless i delude myself well i can give to my love a literary form in harmony with its character but i dare not say mademoiselle he said turning to modeste with too studied a grace that to-morrow i may not be without inspiration thus the poet triumphed over all obstacles in honour of his love he rode a tilt at the hindrances that were thrown in his way and modeste remained wonderstruck at the parisian wit that scintillated in his declamatory discourse of which she had hitherto known little or nothing what an acrobat whispered butcher to latournelle after listening to a magnificent tirade on the catholic religion and the happiness of having a pious wife served up in response to a remark by madame mignon modeste's eyes were blindfolded as it were canalis's elocution and the close attention which she was predetermined to pay to him prevented her from seeing that butcher was carefully noting the declamation the want of simplicity the emphasis that took the place of feeling and the curious incoherencies in the poet's speech which led the dwarf to make his rather cruel comment at certain points of canalis's discourse when monsieur mignon dumais and butcher and latournelle wondered at the man's utter want of logic modeste admired his suppleness and said to herself as she dragged him after her through the labyrinth of fancy he loves me butcher in common with the other spectators of what we must call a stage scene was struck with the radiant defect of all egoists which canalis like many men accustomed to perorate allowed to be plainly seen whether he understood beforehand what the person he was speaking to meant to say whether he was not listening or whether he had the faculty of listening when he was thinking of something else it is certain that melchior's face wore an absent-minded look in conversation which disconcerted the ideas of others and wounded their vanity not to listen is not merely a want of politeness it is a mark of disrespect canalis pushed this habit too far for he often forgot to answer a speech which required an answer and passed without the ordinary transitions of courtesy to the subject whatever it was that preoccupied him though such impertinence is accepted without protest from a man of marked distinction it stirs a leaven of hatred and vengeance in many hearts for those of equals it even goes far as to destroy a friendship if by chance melchior was forced to listen he fell into another fault he merely lent his attention and never gave it though this may not be so mortifying it shows a kind of semi-concession which is almost as unsatisfactory to the hearer and leaves him dissatisfied nothing brings more profit in the commerce of society than the small change of attention he that heareth let him hear is not only a gospel precept it is an excellent speculation follow it and all will be forgiven you even vice canalis took a great deal of trouble in his anxiety to please modeste but though he was compliant enough with her he fell back into his natural self with others modeste pitiless for the ten martyrs she was making begged canalis to read some of his poems she wanted she said a specimen of his gift for reading of which she had heard so much 
Canlis took the volume which she gave him, and cooed, for that is the proper word, a poem which is generally considered his finest, an imitation of Moore's Loves of the Angels, entitled The Talus, which Monsieur and Madame Dumay, Madame Latournelle, and Gobenheim welcomed with a few yawns. "'If you are a good whist-player, monsieur,' said Gobenheim, flourishing five cards held like a fan, "'I must say I have never met a man as accomplished as you.' The remark raised a laugh, for it was the translation of everybody's thought. "'I play it sufficiently well to live in the provinces for the rest of my days,' replied Canales. "'That, I think, is enough and more than enough literature and conversation for whist-players,' he added, throwing the volume impatiently on a table." this little incident serves to show what dangers environ a drawing-room hero when he steps like Canales out of his sphere he is like the favorite actor of a second-rate audience whose talent is lost when he leaves his own boards and steps upon those of an upper-class theatre end of section twenty read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california shaggybark.blogspot.com